Naked in the Cuda. Death by DDD's exploration of Phantasm. Phantasm 3. Lord of the Dead. I'm Linnea, and I like Death by DVD. It's a statement. This is Death by DVD. We're right outside of Holtzville, Idaho. We're after the Tall Man. Our exploration of the Phantasm series continues with Phantasm 3, Lord of the Dead. I'm Hank the World's Greatest, and here's a man whose balls are always in the air. It's I, Alexander Nash. I don't know how that's logistically possible. Do they float? I think it's more like you've got your chin up and a can-do attitude, you know, keep your balls in the air, Reggie. Uh, I, I don't know. Eh, mine mostly stick to my legs. It's one of the last things from this movie we're going to be talking about. Lines of dialogue, I mean, not last things. Somebody says to Reggie, keep your balls in the air, and I've, I've kept that with me my entire life and like to say it at incredibly inappropriately time periods. Usually when I'm leaving a room or, or saying farewell, I just like to shout out, you know, keep your balls in the air, everybody! Nobody knows what I'm talking about, because not many people like Phantasm 3. We said this fucking last week, not many people like Phantasm 2. And I also said those people are wrong, and I will say it again, you're, you're wrong, you don't understand what you're talking about. Phantasm 3, Lord of the Dead, is a great movie. Uh, er, there are a lot of people have a similar story to me when it comes to this. This was my first Phantasm film, and I was a, around the same age as the lead character, so it really blew my mind to see, you know, this this kid kind of living a Rambo fantasy with this weird hippie guy, and then later I discovered Phantasm and Phantasm 2, and a lot of people came to the series this way and hold it very dear to heart, and then there's an opposition of the diehard fans who only like 1 and 4, and they like to argue. I don't like to argue, but 3, one of my least favorites, but I certainly don't think it's an awful movie or anything. It just has aspects in it that I think are a little bit muddled and don't particularly fit the tone of Phantasm because for this one, like we were saying, the last film was an action film. This one feels more like they, uh, Coscarelli went for horror comedy, went for the kind of a Sam Raimi vibe and really go over the top with a bunch of different ideas. And it's a little scatterbrained at times, but I still enjoy it. I think it's probably got more of a, a horror element than a lot of the other ones and just kind of a giant goofball movement throughout the entire thing. You're not part of the intense opposition that, that has a great deal of disdain and hatred for this because it's too funny. You can work with it and we can at least, you know, talk about, Hey, it's part of the series. It's baffling when you go through and you just start looking at reviews, even going back to when the movie originally came out that it, unfortunately was the very first Phantasm movie to not be released in theaters. It was straight to video, and that's really damning, especially in the era when it was released, because 
straight-to-video movies really weren't considered movies. They weren't taken as seriously as being able to have a theatrical release. I had to find this at a gas station to rent. A gas station that still had a video section. That's It was not at all video stores either. It kind of got sporadically picked up by different um, video stores. It Again, not, a, not even a particularly wide release. A lot of uh, video store owners just went, I don't... Is that a series? Eh, we don't need to get that. And unfortunately, it only showed maybe a couple weekends in and around, like, L.A., uh, if even that. I don't think it had really any express run. Um, the Sci-Fi Channel picked it up, the original Sci-Fi Channel picked it up, and it got a little bit of airtime there. And then I think eventually toward the late 90s, probably around the time that Phantasm Four was ready to come out, it got picked up by Blockbuster. And that's around when I got to see it. It had become a little bit more accessible. And the box art is what deeply pulled me in for the movie. And it, it really as we've been talking with the fluency of Phantasm, it didn't matter that there was obviously something going on before this movie. I was able to fall into it immediately, and it was definitely, because I, I saw this and then got to see Phantasm, so I was around the age of Timmy and then around the age of Mike, so both of those hitting me at the same time. I think I have an incredible amount of nostalgic love for Lord of the Dead, and when you're doing like the entire Phantasm series in a marathon, if you're sitting and watching one through five, when you get to part three, I think the comedic nature of it helps because God damn it. If this isn't a depressing series, it really unloads on you as it keeps going and you start really formatting in your head, what you think is going on. When I say scatterbrained about this one, where it kind of loses me at times is I don't think the Reggie stuff in it is bad. I like watching Reggie do anything. I enjoy Reggie as a character, but the like the people he encounters, like the little kid, um, Rocky, they just don't like. It just seems like almost like another movie. It's like the only thing that seems to be furthering a phantasm, like the phantasm war, is when we get involved in uh, all the Mike stuff and the uh, the Jody stuff, and it just seems like we're kind of padding with Timmy and and Roxy or Rocky. I don't know why I always want to call her Roxy. I've always kind of felt that when we are introduced to Tim and we understand his story and that the tall man has affected his life, that it's almost Reggie reconnecting to his youth, Reggie realizing that he is alone no matter how hard he tries to be there for Mike. He can't always be there, and he is you know, essentially as... Well, I mean, Timmy's an avatar for Mike, basically. It's like, yeah. well, if I can't save Mike, I'll save this kid. Well, he tries to you know, push him away, but... The first Phantasm movie, we find out that Jody is dead. So Mike has just been, you know, kind of delusional, reliving all these thoughts with his brother, fantasizing about what's going on. And I think Phantasm 3 could be the same notion with Reggie, that he's encountered Tim. So, you know, just what you said, he's, I, I don't want to say he's out there with intent to save him, but he has his mission. He knows he has to fight the tall man, and it's almost like a spaghetti western movie where there are no character backgrounds, but all of a sudden you went from one lone stranger smoking a cigar to now there's two guys that are going to go kill some people for some reason, and there's a haunting soundtrack in the background. So it's a weird comedic western vibe, if that makes any sense, that you've just got these lone cowboys, one of them is a child, that are out there to get and kill the tall man, and I, I definitely can see especially coming from part two and the action sequences and how intense that movie was and how dramatic the ending was. You move into something funny. Even the beginning of Phantasm 3 has a couple laughs when we find out, unfortunately, Liz from the last movie has not survived. Reggie has to face off against some dwarves and 
the four-barrel shotgun has reappeared, even though we clearly saw him drop it in part two, and it just kind of is more of a Laurel and Hardy thing. He shoots four at once, they all fall out of the trees. Ha ha ha. It's a really different tone, but I guess it works for me coming off of how harsh part two is, and then moving into how desolate part four is. Having a little leeway to laugh doesn't doesn't affect me, but I'm clearly the odd man out with the whole fucking fan collective of Phantasm. It's, nobody likes part three except us few that saw it first. Well, I think Reggie comes into his own as a character in this one. I definitely. think he's a formidable force in the first two, definitely, but Reggie really develops his whole vibe, his kind of his humorous vibe, uh, his ladies' man aesthetic that he's always gotten all these films at this point forward. And all that stuff works for me. It's the fact that, I mean, think about this. Like, Reggie gets abducted by the, the three, uh, I don't know what you'd call them, criminals? What, what would you refer to them as? I guess the I call them looters because that's how we first looters, encounter yeah. what's going on. They're going through this uh, abandoned town, Holtzville. Well, and he encounters the looters. They put them in the trunk of the Cuda, and they just go up to this random house, and there's a whole scene with, Tim and the the kind of the home alone traps thing of like the deadly traps, but that's the first time in a, like in the Phantasm series we've really taken some time to like step out of our main characters. I guess in two you could say about um, Mike's girlfriend from part two. We we do like follow her around a little bit, but I, it just feels weird that it's we don't have Reggie, we don't have Mike, we just have this kind of off of center scene of like, cause it, it just feels like Coscarelli had an idea. Like that would be fun. I don't know what movie to stick this in. Probably I could stick it in phantasm though. So he just has this kind of 10 minute diversion that he puts in. And it just seems like it's there for padding character of Rocky. Definitely just seems like she's there for padding and for something for Reggie to have fantasies about, or just to be the, uh, the lecherous character that he is. And it, it's not that any of these stuff bothers me. It just feels out of place when you look at the Phantoms, Phantasm series as a whole. Um, so it just it feels a little bit off. Again, don't hate it, though. I think if the characters had gone somewhere more than what we're presented with, I mean, we don't even really go off alone with any of them because everything on screen with Tim and Rocky is presented through Reggie as our avatar. If we knew, not maybe not... Uh, it's not that we needed to know more about them, but we needed to continue the adventure with them and trying not to spoil the end at the very beginning. We don't ever see them again. That's not true in Rocky's case. We'll get there with part five. But Well, we see uh, Tim at the beginning of part four. Yeah, it's not very pleasant. So it's just once that trick keeps happening, you start to realize, well, let's not get attached to any other character in the Phantasm series because something awful is going to happen to them. And this movie begins as... Don has realized you must do with the Phantasm series immediately after part two, and we connect the holes of what happened. Liz dies. The tall man is after Mike. Mike is in a coma for, what, two years or so, and during this time period, I guess Reggie just goes back to normal life. Everything's fine, and the tall man comes for him. And I've always had this backward. I always felt that the tall man had put the gold sphere in his head. But what we're discovering in Phantasm 3 is the tall man wants a gold sphere out of Mike's head. Has it always been there? How did it get there? We don't know. What is it? We also don't know at all. <laughs> to bring it into the more philosophical side of this, it's it, like the sphere, it doesn't represent particularly anything other than Mike is, who. who's the only other character with a gold sphere in their head? It's the tall man. And it's 
kind of to show that Mike and himself is a tall man or a tall man adjacent, that they are like two sides of the same coin. Now, does that mean that Mike is the anti-tall man? Or is it, I don't think it's any of that. I think it's more of literally that hmm, the tall man and Mike aren't so different. They just aren't like uh, Mike is coming into his own at this point as an adult. He seems to be kind of getting to the point where he's rejecting. Um, this is this movie in particular feels like him slowly starting to reject this whole goddamn premise that he's been involved in for the last, what, 20 some odd years of his life of just like, I don't really know if I want to do this anymore. And if he went, if he's trying so hard to get me, he can just let, let him just take me. I think it's self-discovery, too, at this point, that Mike is really coming into himself and learning who he is as an individual and might be realizing, you know, I'm really putting everyone at risk here. My my lifestyle, what I'm doing, is not healthy. My friends will do anything possible to help me, and I'm going to get them killed. I'm, I'm going to—I gotta stop. I have to just get out of here and give in to this. This is what they want of me, so I'm just going to let it happen. I'm just going to be a part of society. I mean, I don't mean to say it that way, but— well, I mean, somewhat on along those same lines, it's almost like Mike has finally accepted death as a inevitability as a part of life. That it's just like, okay, it doesn't matter what you do, the tall man is always going to be around the corner. And the tall man's death, I'm death as well, apparently. And that's just kind of how it is. We all are the tall man. The tall man is all of us. Um, and as we move through life in itself we become the things that we hate that's i mean generally you all like all of you and i would say not all but especially if you're listening to this podcast most of you all had a lot of dreams growing up in your adolescence and as you've gotten older you have to realize that those dreams were just that they were dreams and you grew up to be just another wage slave capitalist worker and none of it is rewarding and it's just like this is the exact thing i didn't want to happen to me but yet it did and that's just kind of how life is the one thing i don't want to happen to me is get buried alive like that movie buried alive where they bury the dude alive it's pretty fucking awful the frank darabout one oh yeah frankie d hold on a second <laughs> god damn you frank darabont frankie d so to nerd out here a little bit with everything you're saying, just as a fan with a capital P, looking at this movie specifically, we get so much more shit that makes it deeply complicated. But trying to follow along, we've got this interdimensional being who somehow has uh, become a mortuary owner in Oregon, and he shrinks the bodies of people down and sends them back to his homeworld to enslave them. For some reason, he's after Mike. We go through part one, we go through part two. Now we have the, the biggest fuckerunskis of all time, that Mike has this golden sphere in his head. We don't know where it came from, we don't know why the tall man wants it, but is this why he's been in the town the entire time? Is this why he is set and slowly waited because he knew in some form of reality that this individual, Mike, is going to exist and it's going to be something that he can use to further his evil plan. There's so much fun that you can kind of have and mold this with, and it's almost like 
playing with action figures when you were a kid and you have these detailed stories and plots and everybody has a different role and only you know it in your head and as you go through this and, and part three starts opening these doors, Bill Thornberry returns as Jody, who is dead. I mean, Jody dies. He died in a car wreck. We even get to see it. We establish that he's dead. It's so palatable. I mean, you can really do anything with it and that's where... I think a lot of my love for Phantasm 3 comes in because it does open all those doorways and turns it into what I infamously bitch about not liking, a massive expanded universe. You know, you've got this, uh, a million ideas. You can really take this to any level with who the tall man is. Okay, speaking of which, fan theory. The Red Planet, a.k.a. another dimension. Could it be sci-fi? Could it be some sort of space thing? How about this? What if it's just the fucking future? It's Earth because, the whole time. I mean, but that yeah. said, at some point, oh, I can't get ahead it's of myself. It's just a fucking time machine. And because, I mean, when just to spoil a bit for the next episode, Jebediah Morningside, um, who is the tall man from like the 1800s and he makes the portal. Was he just not making a time machine? I mean, he traveled through time and basically just got grizzled and all fucked up and that that's that's what the future holds for us all maybe the tall man's saving these dwarves maybe it's the only way humanity can live maybe he's trying to repopulate the earth who knows looking at just the idea of multiple realities it doesn't have to be so far-fetched in science fiction i mean it's something that even as simplistically as your five years ago is a different reality than what you're living in so it's not maybe traveling through space or different dimensions that it's completely moving when you go through the tuning forks, when you go into the other dimensions. It's just different forms of reality. It's different places. We start seeing that Michael is able to witness events that have happened, and he can't do anything about it because he's in a different reality. But Jody's up to no good. He's returned, and it's very devious as to what his meanings are. He seems like he's helping Reggie and that he's helping Mike but Michael quickly disappears as this movie begins so it's a little disappointing I mean it's all right a Michael Baldwin's back and I said this on the last episode and I'll just repeat myself I really like James LeGrow I think he's a terrific actor and it's really unnecessary how many people still hold it against this guy fucking 32 years later that he got a job and he carried out the job and I think it's a great addition to the series but you have just a, a great deal of excitement like Mike's back Oh man, and it's the way that Mike is introduced is such a great, almost clapworthy scene that they masterfully edited the ending of part two with recently shot scenes of a Michael Baldwin just wearing the same Oregon T-shirt and a really weird pompadour hairstyle they tried to give him to make him like James O'Groh. It always makes me laugh. Yeah, and I feel they really were trying to reintroduce him with that kind of flouncy-haired little boy look, and it's just like, oh man, it's Mike, he's back, and then he's gone. <laughs> he goes away completely, and you're clinging to, like, trying to find out what's happening, and I like the addition with Tim because you get a little bit more of the legacy of the tall man. You see that he's done the same thing in this town in Idaho that he did in Oregon, and he's slowly moving forward, and uh, you get, I guess, clarification as to what happened to Jody. You see that he was following the hearse and the, the cuda flips. You learn that Tim's father went to go visit the mortuary and died the next day of a supposed heart attack. So the tall man knows who his adversaries are. He knows, like a masterful chess player, what move to make next and who to kill first to be able to take care of this town. He took care of Jody and got Mike put in a mental institute for seven years knowing if he let him sit and wait, he'd be able to pry that ball out of his head. But this is all the real 
crunchy fan theory stuff. This is really looking at the plot and the story and not so much the theoretical and the philosophical aspects we've been on for the last two episodes, but there's just so much fun. I mean, this movie has the most legendary, beautiful car flip of, of all time. I don't think anything... The tube ramp to fucking hell, man. That fucker flew 40 feet. The legendary Bob Ivy, who also is Bubba Hotep, going 70 miles an hour in the pink hearse. We had this in Phantasm too, but it wasn't pink, and that's what makes it far superior. The action sequences kind of mix with the humor to... I don't know, it just feels like a 90s movie. I don't know if that makes sense as a, as a decent review, but that's pretty much the attitude and the feeling. And if you didn't care for that era of filmmaking, you'd... You're not going to like Phantasm 3. I think part of the disappointment initially is the fact that it does have a bit of a smaller budget. <clears throat> they start with some of their um, less than impressive computer generated designs throughout the film because when Jody morphs into a ball, it's fucking laughable. Phantasm was an independent film. Phantasm 2 was about. $3 million, which uh, most people now would say either 3 to 8 oh, that, that's still indie, but at the time period and what they had worked with beforehand, it was pretty cushy and pretty nice. I think Phantasm 3 goes back to like $1 million, maybe $2. It, it's a considerably shortened budget to what they were used to working with, and down to the fact that the effects guys, one of them had worked on Phantasm 2, they knew they were going to get a cut, but they just had so much fun doing it that they signed on. Like, yeah, we gotta, it's the tall man, let's definitely do this. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a family affair with Coscarelli when he makes a Phantasm film. People will donate their time and their uh, their skills to make sure that Don Coscarelli gets his true vision out there every I time. Mean, all the hearses in this movie weren't just rented. They were from Phantasm fan clubs where people had hearses and, and had restored them and, and did conventions and drove around and got to appear in the movie. The Hemikudas is definitely different, which I, I I know I'm asking too much here, but we get a different car in pretty much every movie. So Jody dies in a Hemikuda, and that makes Reggie want to restore one to drive around in the same car his friend died in, I guess. And then that Hemikuda is destroyed in part two, and we have a different model now. What's the fast? <laughs> Why would you be so fascinated with the coffin of your best friend? <laughs> it's a weird angle to the movie I've never quite got, but goddamn, but at the it same time, like a lot of that <clears throat> doesn't particularly make sense. How the Cuda gets destroyed in almost every movie, but it comes back every movie. Reggie dies at the end of everything. Well, Don Coscarelli has a great reasoning for all of that. And it's, well, uh, when the tall man's around, he uh, disrupts time. Yep. That's his explanation. I've heard him say it like a million times. <laughs> Phantasm is also Reggie's explanation. If you ask him a question, he'll go, Phantasm? You, you can't get anything. Like you, you have to use your mind here. And that's, I mean, that's probably your best explanation is these characters are somewhat unstuck in time. And to move into kind of the philosophic uh, aspects of Phantasm 3, you could also look at it as Michael is starting to relent to the tall man and starting to give in to age, getting closer to death. While Reggie, what's he do? He picks up a way younger woman who really gets his juices flowing and he finds a replacement for Mike and says, yeah, we can still have these adventures, right? Let's, let's go on adventures. We've got to save my buddy, Mike, who uh, basically just realized he's going to have a nine to five job until he dies. Let's go. Mike quit smoking pot. We got to convince him to have a good time. Yeah. Have you ever that's, tried a, that's generally the plot of Phantasm three. When you put it that way, though, that really is Phantasm 3 of like, yeah, our buddy decided to get a job and doesn't want to play in the band anymore. And that's what happens in the first movie, except the band dies. 
Um, wow, that was a bad reference. And to get back to your your band analogy just then, it's like Reggie's trying to. Well, come on, let's let's keep playing music, guys. Let's get the band back together. We're gonna save my friend. And then he goes and gets the friend and says, "Hey, you want to join the band again?" It's like, well, not really. I mean, kind of at this point, it's just like this is inevitable, and I can't just go. I have a kid now. I can't be touring. Oh, come on, man! And he just says, "No, you, you got to get away from me." I've got to go die. <laughs> I think, too, Michael realizes in Phantasm 3 specifically that Reggie is never going to stop, that he he believes in peace, he believes in love, and more importantly, he believes in friendship and family, and he's never going to abandon Michael, and Michael knows the further he goes on this journey, there's nothing he can do about it. He's, he's stuck in this fight with the tall man, and it will harm his only companion. It will harm his only friend. And then Jody appears... And I don't know, there's something kind of sentimental, I guess, about his appearance, but no one's happy about it. No one, I mean, and it's something that always has confused me as a viewer, as a fan of the series, as to the reaction of everyone when they finally experience Jody, because Michael begins seeing him. He begins having these flashbacks almost, but Jody's not dead, and then finally the sphere Jody appears, and we know that he's under the control of the tall man, but... How? Why? We don't ever truly get the explanation, but more or less it's an imposing force in Michael's life that's reminding him you can't change. There's nothing you can do about it. You find out in this film, though, that like it's literally human, shrunk down human brains inside of the sphere. You take the uh, the brains out of the dwarf and you, uh, shrink them down Plop them and in. you send them to the red plant as mindless drones and their their minds go on living in these killing machines. And that's what Jody basically has become, he's become a mindless drone for the most part. And he's somewhat trying to warn Michael, but is he such a good guy or is he just trying to make Michael again, a mindless drone like everybody else in this world of like, listen, listen, I, uh, the, our parents died and I had to leave because I needed to go be an adult and it's time for you to come with me and be an adult with me. You can't be hanging out with the middle-aged ice cream man, playing music every day that's just not what rational respectable adults do well conceptually too i think the spheres are a reflection of of all your inner terror i mean as they're attacking as they they suck all your blood out and suck all of your insides out and you see it coming and it's just kind of uh, to me metaphorical that it's reflective and reflective of absolutely everything that is your inner fear your inner turmoil and so jody's appearance as the ball he tries to fight and turns black. So he has become like the the void, the nothing, the the point of no return of giving up and not move. I mean, because there's so many different oppositions that you can take that a Michael Baldwin is growing up and that he is joining the real world and that Reggie is immature. Or you could take it as Reggie is the true free spirit that you should never let die, that when you die, you start becoming something of the abyssal zone, something of the void, something awful like the tall man that is hopeless and nothing will grow. Everything will wilt and die as you touch it. And that's like a, a lot of becoming an adult is giving up your friends. Not, I mean, you don't totally have to give up your friends, but you do over time start losing people. Who are like, well, this person is becoming toxic to my current lifestyle. I can't have the, uh, the alcoholic that uh, was, you know, was living in my house. Oh, uh, he's got to go. It's, it's not that I hate you. It's just, I'm trying to grow up and be a responsible adult. And you're sitting around getting drunk till 3am and you're just kind of fucking up my lifestyle. And that, and that's naturally what happens. And it, it 
it seems kind of like where Michael's headed at this point is you, you've got to give up all these things if you kind of want to progress. But also giving up these things means you're one step closer to death. I mean, you're you're basically your uh, your glory years are coming to an end and it's now just about structure. Well, we have all these references that Michael has this golden ball in his head and whatever this representation is, whether it's philosophical or the fact that maybe the tall man has just been waiting for him, knowing that at some point in time this would happen. We don't know if he put it in there. We don't know what any of it actually is a representation of, but it's a turning point for Mike that he realizes he is just as bad as the evil. He's never going to be anything different. So Jody's entire appearance here, I never take as a really comforting thing. I don't ever see it as a good thing that maybe he's out there to look after Reggie a little bit. He takes him deep into his mind, which is something that fits with our entire theory and helps kind of purport things more is that Reggie doesn't even realize where he is until Jody says it's somewhere in your mind. And he realizes they're within a memory of a place that he went to as a child. So these realities are even within our own memories. That really makes sense with this it being a dream, not a fever dream, but just a dream or a distant memory. But what says memory isn't a different reality? There is transcendence. I mean, what if you could go into the different realities? It, string theory technically would say that everything is also existing at one point in time, but just a little bit off kilter from the other one. So it's fucking quantum leap. There we go. Phantasm's just quantum leap. <laughs> well, I mean, to get into part five a little bit, when everything switches and it seems like we're no longer in Michael's trip or his dream, we're like falling along with Reggie and basically becoming a dementia patient. And that could be an interpretation for this whole goddamn series that we haven't been with Michael this entire time. We've been with Reggie and with dementia, people with dementia seem to jump around their life. They seem to go back to when they were 12 years old and they're at their old house and they're having these strange memories and the things aren't really matching up together. They're not um, like the, the dots aren't like being connected at all. So it all feels so kind of foreign and weird, even though it's a place that you grew up. That could be a bold explanation for the entire series as a whole is this whole thing is just in a dementia patient's mind of just like losing the good times still getting some of those things right, but adding a bunch of weird shit all around the periphery of it that is just kind of made-up memories. Even how this film begins, we get to see a previous character, the Lady in Lavender, appears. So all of these characters, the same people in different roles, and part four, every single scene, Reggie has a different shirt on. Could it just be interlocking memories that aren't really there anymore, and the, the pieces that lock together have kind of faded? Or... Don Coscarelli's explanation, when the tall man's nearby, time is different. Are we just flashing through different realities and it's a metaphor for the fact that no matter what, it's not that things are predetermined, but all things are the same. Time is a flat circle. What comes around goes around. It's completely unavoidable. I mean, you can look at any neat, unique Buddhist and Taoist concept that you want to, but when you look at life, even structurally, it's true. Time constantly repeats itself. History consistently and always repeats itself, and there's nothing anyone can do about it. It's rather bizarre. Well, and if you want to get like super technical on a plot concept, this could just all be sliding doors principle of just these are just different realities. This is the multiverse. It just so happens to be following these, you know, four or five characters through this multiverse of like, well, 
this is where this point in history split and became two different realities. And these could just all be different realities within some of these people's lives. So it's just, that's why I don't get too hung up on like fan theories about plot details because this could go fucking anywhere. And I think when people start really getting involved in phantasm and a lot of them would just go, I don't understand what's going on. I don't get like, why is this, why is point A to point B to point C so complicated? And why have I been given no answers? The more answers you give me, the more questions you give me. And that's kind of the, the key to Phantasm because it it's about the ride. It's about weird things and thinking about and contemplating those things. It's not about answering questions. It's about just opening yourself up to different ideas of reality and kind of conceptually where that can take you. I don't mean to be like a smart ass, but I think part four pretty much fucking answers everything that you just said. And it, it's just one of those things when you look at people's complaints and I guess I am a quick tempered person. It just annoys me like to watch the movie, watch the movie and have your own thought and your own concept. Don't read other people's stuff. Don't go find the phantasm Wikipedia. Just fucking watch the movie and, and come up with your own concept. Use your brain and do so, and I know it just it sounds really rude and it sounds embittered, but you have something so geniusly and delightfully creative and fun, such as the Phantasm series. It's such a great opportunity for you to be able to come up with concepts and apply a lot of the themes and theories from this film into your own life and to use it as a piece of art and and move forward with it. Look look at it. And part four, not trying to get too spoiler heavy into it, because guess what we'll be talking about. Next week, part four, there are dozens of these dimension forks. I call them tuning forks, so I need to clarify that that's what I mean. That not Reggie's little tuning fork, but the dimension forks. There's dozens of them, and at some point, several of our characters move in and out of them, and I think there, everything that you were just discussing is absolute truth, because we don't know ever if they're coming back to our reality, what is our reality, were they ever in our reality, and where did they go, how do you get back out? If you go into one, what's the guarantee you're going to come back where you came from? And that is confusing, but it's kind of the glory to all of this, because through every movie, somebody at some point goes through one of these things, and... You go to the next movie, something's always a little bit different than it was before. There's your explanation. They went in through one of those things, and they came out in a different reality. Boom. Done. Reality. I mean, this is this series is not it's not hereditary, where it's, oh, there's a bunch of weird things going on. Oh, okay, it was a cult, and they had to do this thing to this thing, and then there's a demon. Okay, I get it. This is along... The, I like the, the, like the linear structure of something like Mandy. These are modern horror... <laughs> explanations i'm trying to go with here like mandy doesn't make any goddamn fucking sense nor should it i mean it's got echoes of ideas and feelings and tones that um uh panos cosmodos was working with and it's the same fucking thing with phantasm as a series it is about concepts ideas and emotion and we're playing with all those different structures in filmmaking and we're not getting so hung up on detail oriented and there's no gotchas in phantasm there's no ending where it's like ah you thought this was going on but this was going nah fuck that this is all just it's taking you through different motions and different um concepts and really playing with your mind of what like 
it is very open ended and for up for your interpretation. But that's the fucking fun of Phantasm. We opened up a door now here. I've been watching a lot of Fassbinder movies, and something that I've grown to appreciate that really bothered me at first was guy does not give a shit about continuity. It it doesn't matter. He'll do these entire experimental films that are you know mafia movies that's just taking place in a white room. I've also been really watching a lot of Giuseppe Andrews movies who kind of comes from that same school. If you can tell, and the point of this is if you can tell a story well enough, does it fucking matter if the person has changed flannel shirt six times? Now, there are people that are always going to see that and look for a reason, but a lot of the driving point of like a Fassbender film is the storytelling. It's not even the plot. It's just telling the story and getting from point A to point B. A few episodes you were talking about John Cassavetes, and that was, it didn't fucking matter what the movies were about. They're just as confusing a phantasm. Husband and wife are screaming at each other. 45 minutes, and then Peter Falk goes and gets drunk. You cried for some reason, though. You don't understand why, but it, it invoked an emotion out of you. It's just a story about people. That's what Cassavetes did. He'd made, like, the, the plots were fucking pointless. It was about how these people react to whatever plot structure he stuck them in, and that's what's interesting. And it's the same thing with Phantasm. Yeah, it's it's Coscarelli coming concept. up with a bunch of different um, scenarios to put these characters in, and we love to see how they react to these scenarios, and that is the enjoyment of it. If you try to take it too much further than that, you're going to drive yourself crazy. It's just the suave sophistication of following the fucking story, and that's really what Phantasm is. The entire series is really suave. It's really smooth, and it's well done. And you try to connect these things. You try and look at point A, point B, point C. There's no necessity to because all that matters is what's Reggie going to do? What's his reaction? Where's the Hemikuda? And is the tall man nearby? You just follow that. You're allowed to do anything you want in your head. I don't think Don Coscarelli had any intention of forcing any specific idea upon you in any of these films. I think most of it was his project fell through and he had a little bit of money left over and wrote a Phantasm movie because he wanted to get the gang back together. But all jokes aside, when he sat down to construct and come up with these ideas, it wasn't just flying out of his ass. He tried to connect things the best way that would still be open for you every single time. And I really think no one knew if there ever would be more Phantasms. Like Phantasm 3 specifically had multiple endings shot. There's uh, the one I wish had been shot, Tim and Reggie survive a little bit of that it might have actually was filmed they go to the arctic and they bury the tall man because he can't stand the cold there was an ending shot where it shows timmy actually dead and reggie just leaves the mausoleum there's another one that he leaves with reggie timmy rather leaves with reggie unfortunately it ends as uh, and you were touching upon this earlier as it's kind of recapturing the spirit and the entity of a Michael Baldwin Mike in the very first film phantasm three ends the exact same way with who I consider our, our budding hero pretty much killed and taken by the tall man. It's clarified in the next movie spoilers, but yeah, big, big suck fest with killing Timmy there. Cause I think we could have done something with the molding of that character, having an opposition to Mike turning, pretty much turning evil, because that's what we're left with, too, at the end of Phantasm 3. Heartbreakingly enough, Michael tells Jody, or Michael tells Reggie, stay away from me, and runs. Is he joining the tall man? We don't know. And when this movie came out, it was crushing, because it was like, fuck, nobody knows. Who knows? It also speaks to Coscarelli as a director, and I personally think Coscarelli has never made a bad film he might disagree with me on that, but I think all of his films have all been enjoyable and all have merit to them. But if you even go through Coscarelli's more recent work with something like Bubba Hotep 
and uh, John dies at the end. These are all kindred spirits because the Phantasm films, Bubba Hotep, John dies at the end. All of them are a bunch of gobbledygook. All the plots are nonsense bullshit. And what's so great about John dies at the end is it perfectly fits in. It's almost like Phantasm light. Um, it almost feels like someone took Coscarelli's characters and crafted new adventures for them to go into. And the reason we like these films, the reason we like these characters that Coscarelli works is, is because they're interesting characters to watch. The plots that they're involved in are almost second nature to just enjoying watching these characters do their thing. We like, I personally love the characters in John dies at the end. I know those aren't his original characters, but it's, it's the same vibe as phantasm where these characters are in this, very twisted and all over the place reality, but I just want to see where the ride takes us because I enjoy being with these characters the entire time. I've read the entire uh, John dies at the end series just because I like reading about these characters. I think personally, when it comes to the phantasm series, it isn't always so much relating to the character, but you wanting to be Reggie, you wanting to be like Reggie. He is just such a beautiful spirit. This character that we see throughout the movie is, filled with love it never will stop he is a protective force and you kind of think to yourself as you're watching the series like i i, I want to be that way for my friends and family personally when i experience this and i watch the movies it's like i want to be that way it doesn't mean i want to have a four-barreled shotgun and run around hunting monsters i do i definitely do Himikuda, yes ice cream truck too fuck it i'd do it all i'd wear the uh, white suit it's all good to me absolutely everything reggie does i'm a four but I, I want to be that compassionate type of person. I want to care as much as he does about my friends and my family. I want to have that devotion instilled in me. And I think when I watch this series, I get hopeful. I feel that I can't let the tall man win. I talked about this on the last episode, but it, it really progressively when you get through the series and you look at these depressing angles and you try and look at the metaphors and all the symbolism and all the, the backgrounds to what's happening to Michael and Reggie and what the tall man really could be, it makes me never want to let that in. It really makes me want to fight every day of my life to not go back to my childhood, but the essence of Reggie, I really feel, is is the perfect mixtures of everything. He's always he, He's got self-love. He recognizes the future, he recognizes the past, and he even admits he knows he can't change things, but he's going to try no matter what. And if he dies, he dies doing what he loves. What a better way to try and think about life, to get through life, is to just be passionate, just to be, be loving. And every goddamn episode, I get into that Reggie Bannister, you just gotta love hippie rant. But it's true. Reggie ends up being the person that we all want to be the all person, the person that we all have striven or have hoped to be Christ. <laughs> Reggie is the person that we all hope that we could be one day, or we all think that we are, but in truthful, we are more like Mike. We're more prone to giving up. We're more prone to just like giving in to Mike all or it. Jody. I mean, I think you can be either or because Jody kind of gives into the man. You could say, you know, he didn't, sell out he bought in to quote slc punk and now he's just a slave to the society and he's trying to force that on mike and you know reggie is that prototypical like uh, kind of the white hat where he's always lives by his moral code he never gives in he just he wants to live how he wants to live and it's the thing that we've all told ourselves that we're going to do when we grow up. I'm never going to change. I'm never going to change who I am yet. Like 90% of you all have changed who you are to get what you want in life. Now 
there are different levels of that. I personally wanted to live more like Reggie and what it ended up doing ended up costing me a shit ton of money and it costing me uh, stability in my life. But it's something you're, if you're willing to give that up, you can live hopefully a more fruitful life for yourself. And you're not just, you know, gathering possessions and well, I have safety, but I'm fucking miserable. I just, personally could never live like that so i've always been on more the reggie side of things not full reggie because reggie is a possibility to live up to but as close to living like reggie as i possibly can it kind of makes you wonder with the series what happens because it's not very clear but when you go into phantasm 3 mike has been in a coma for two years so reggie's just been living he's just been existing probably going to the hospital every day he never stops caring he he had a nice apartment fucked up his hallway really bad. <laughs> That's my favorite fucking line. Because <laughs> fucked up my hallway. This movie has some of the best one-liners in it of all of the Phantasm series. But my point with it is he, he, he did everything that Michael couldn't do. He knows the situation sucks. His best friend, uh, his best friend is dead, and he's doing everything possible to take care of his little brother, who is now in a coma. What else can he do? He's accepted the situation. It's awful, but what else can you do? So it goes. Isn't it pretty to think so? You just have to move on and continue. So he he does that. He keeps on trucking, to dust off that old phrase. He probably goes back to selling ice cream or playing music. He got an apartment and lives. A big point, I think, with the series is you've got to survive, and there's a thousand different ways you can do it. But if you can manage to keep not just your inner child, but, but you. I talked about this on the last episode, and I wasn't really clear that, you know, like if you 10 years ago is who you are. I don't mean that in, in the sense of you're always going to be the same person, but your inner monologue, that voice in your head, it doesn't seem to age. It just seems to be you. You hear it. It's maybe schizophrenia. I don't know. I could be describing symptoms of schizophrenia. But you hear this, you know, your conscience, your fucking Jiminy Cricket. It never really changes. It, it's always with you because you are who you are no matter what. You know that. Other people might not be able to recognize it. But over time, that can be dwindled away and diminished and broken and beaten. And you start to give up and you become like Michael. Now, you start voting Republican. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah. I mean, really, you, you kind of just give up on dreams and other people and other people's hopes. And that's a really great way of saying it because... The American Republican Party, the conservative party, most conservative parties all over the world don't care about people whatsoever. They don't care about the betterment of people and the betterment of society. And I'm not saying the Democrats do. I'm not going into that. But conservatives in general are conservatives for a fucking reason and they're capitalists for a reason. Reggie is is the anti that in, in all formats. And I don't mean to like put a political party on him or say... Reggie Bannister stands for communism, but <laughs> the character stands for just compassion and absolution and love no Empathy. matter what. Yeah, it doesn't matter that... I mean, It he, doesn't matter I'm marching to my ultimate doom. I have to do it because I have to save my friend because we're all in this together. Well, look at Timmy. He, he goes out of his way to try and find him safety to try and take care of the kid. Gives this woman all of his money, which Timmy's a little brat for this fucking poor what's he got <laughs> how does reggie pay for anything is a great question in this series but he goes out of his way to make sure that this child is taken care of and the kid very reminiscent to michael is going to fight to the end but he has his own reasons i, I think there's a big difference between timmy and michael because they're both affected differently by the tall man but they're going after the same personal goal no one here except reggie seems to be caring about the greater picture michael wants revenge timmy wants revenge 
Reggie just wants the world to not be taken over and everyone to have a really nice time and maybe enjoy an ice cream sundae. And he's working for the betterment of, of everybody here, not just himself. He cares so much about everything. He stops and goes out of his way not just to have sex with Rocky, but he tries to help her. The second he meets Liz in part two when he's finally convinced that she's not a wet dream, as he tells Mike, he tries to help her too. Every single person Reggie encounters, friend... I was going to say or foe, he tries to help, but he, <laughs> that doesn't make sense. He shoots everybody that's a foe. So, good guy to have around. <laughs> well, I mean, if you want to get to part four, there's a woman with car trouble, and he just saves her. He didn't have to stop, but it's just it's the right thing to do. Well, her car was on fire and flipped like nine times. It was pretty dramatic. Not stopping would have been psychopathic, I guess. But <laughs> I mean, there are people who wouldn't stop. Oh man. yeah, definitely. But Reggie, part four with Reggie becomes the the lonesome cowboy story. I think. I mean, I referred to this one kind of as a western, but the the next movie, the territory gets so much darker. I think we change direction with our heroes and our characters, and everyone we're established in this film is just gone. We eventually see Rocky again, but it doesn't really matter when we do it would have maybe mattered if there was a continuation it would have maybe given some leeway to how goofy the characters are because she is kind of a goofy character she's this chick that just got out of the army i guess and is a nunchuck specialist and she wears like uh, camo bds yeah. and it's not it's like a video game character it's like a tekken kind of thing and it's it it's a weird addition to have but it does have weird spunk and tenacity and it it's Following through with the first movie, if everything was a dream, all the lack of other people, all these towns completely empty, all these characters being very bizarrely superimposed, it's not like they have superpowers, but I mean, how many people do you know that can actually use nunchucks or can build a well, four-barrel shotgun? You can, uh, you can probably, if you're thinking about like the the uh, it's all a dream style, that these are honestly like kind of dream warriors. Like Rocky oh, yeah. is Terran from uh, the Dream Warriors, uh, Nightmare on Street Three. Like Tim, Timmy's got his like his bag of tricks, and I was like, "Oh, th this is what I am in my dreams. This is my false reality that I live at, at night. I can be whatever I want to be." Well, I'm a nunchuck specialist. Exactly. I mean, if you were laying there in bed trying to fall asleep and you slowly start drifting off, you're not going to fantasize that you're some wimp. You're going to be the biggest warrior possible. You're going to be Conan the Barbarian. You're going to be Rambo, John McClane, but maybe with shoes and a machine gun, like in part two or maybe part three. He didn't fare that well in the very first one. His feet really took some damage. You don't want to be the loser. So every single fantasy you have is always going to be putting you in the better situation. It just gets very strange at this point as to why would Mike be dreaming about this chick that got out of the army meeting Reggie and he runs into a kid. We got to kind of really Who accept... says it's Michael's dream at this point, Hank? Well, that's what I'm going into is we've got to accept that the perception has completely changed, that we are in a different reality and it might not be Michael's anymore and that could be part of his plight. Or it might have never been Michael's to begin with. We'll never know. I mean, there's. Well, it comes down to what you want the interpretation of Phantasm to be. So getting to the end of the ride here, I've always had a, a, a soft spot for Phantasm 3, but I really hate how it transitions into the next movie. You can go from part 2 to part 4 if you want to. I like including everything. I like everything being one fluency and part of the series. It's just depressing that we focus on these characters so much. But again, that's sort of a metaphor looking at life. You meet people, they come and go, you have different friends, people die, people move on, and time just kind of exists without them. You you know they existed at some point, and maybe some form they might still exist, but 
you just don't know. One thing we didn't talk about a lot was the grave robbers and how goofy that performance was. That's I, I understand the comical nature of it being something a lot of people are disappointed with, but when they come back as zombies, I think it's some of the most fun we have with the series because we only have the spheres, the dwarves, and then the next movie we have some guys in gas masks. Reggie fought one of them in part two, but having a little bit of a difference, these reanimated goofy corpses all decked out in gold and they're wearing like Dick Tracy style clothes. There's just something about it all that's so bizarrely dreamlike that you can almost skip Phantasm 3 itself as being somebody's dream. And most of the action, you don't know when it's happening because Reggie's dreaming throughout a lot of it when Jody comes and gets him and takes him into other realities. So going back to what you've been pinning on this entire time, it's definitely Reggie's perception. He falls asleep, Jody shows up in the sphere, and then suddenly they're in a dry lake bed. How much of this was real? Just like I was discussing with part two, how much of the action sequences were inside of Michael's head while he slept in the car? We'll never know. So we've just pulled into Holtzville. I guess it's time to go check out a mausoleum or two on our quest to find the tall man. Hunting the son of a bitch down, and once we find him, we're gonna lay him out and put a stake right in his heart. Until next time, the ashtray is full, and the bottle is empty. You gotta put a stake right through his fucking heart. Toss me that chromed out cold 45. I like to keep that handy. A four barrel shotgun is a lot harder to load than I thought. Gotta make sure this bad boy is ready to shoot if we got a boogie. Now, let's get this old rusty gate opened up here. Uh, uh, hold my Dosekis for a second while I get this open. Ah. Hey, do you think dead people are buried here? Uh, it's a it's a crypt. Yeah, of course. Yeah, dead people crypt. That's why we're here, the tall man. Uh-huh. I know. It sounds like something's out there, doesn't it? Nash, look out! It's a bunch of those little fuckers! And a spear! Dwarves are all over the place. There's a horde of the undead coming out of the crypt. I gotta get back to the Kuda. We can't fight the tall man if we're all dead. That was close. They got Nash. I can't believe the tall man got Nash.
DVD is recorded in front of a dead studio audience.